You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. Today we're speaking with a financial planner that has a great deal of experience in the institutional investing scene and is now applying his knowledge from that area to individuals' portfolios. We also have a friend of mine from a major hedge fund solution shop that has experience in allocating to managers and running their own strategies in-house, and now, as part of a larger asset management complex, brings his capabilities to bear on a range of clients from across the globe. James Brown is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. Welcome. Today's Thursday, May 27th, and I'm James Barron with CASA, and this is Alternative Thinking with Max Corbin from Franklin Templeton and Shemez Kassim from Northfront Financial. Uh, we'll start with self-introduction, so we'll start with you, Shemez. Hello, James. Thanks for uh, having me today. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. So I'm a um, partner with uh, Northfront Financial in uh, Calgary. We are a, um, a boutique uh, uh, portfolio management firm. And so what we specialize in is bringing institutional quality alternative investments to individuals. And we help our clients um, diversify away from the um, uh, public uh, stock and bond markets. And we are also a um, full service um, financial planning firm as well. Uh, So we have a very strong uh, background in financial planning. And uh, the way I uh, uh, tend to explain it is that um, everybody has a financial house and there's different rooms in the house. And uh, uh, 98% of the time, people focus on just the investment room uh, and um, and they often neglect areas like estate um, planning and, and insurance and those kind of things. And so our job is to manage the investments and also um, uh, just make sure all the other rooms are in order. And uh, by way of, of background, I um, have a MBA from uh, Columbia Business School in uh, New York. I spent some time at, uh, at BNP uh, uh, Paribas and AIMCO, Alberta Investment uh, Management, in their, in their alternatives group. Uh, and uh, uh, prior to getting into the financial industry, my uh, uh, first career was in occupational therapy. Wow, that's a varied story. That's, that's awesome. I, I actually, I've never really seen or haven't seen many that have come from the institutional space, like, say, BNP and, uh, and working in, uh, going to school in New York there at AIMCO, and then getting into the financial planning side. And because uh, a lot of people talk about, institutional quality and bring it to uh, to retail and to individuals but uh yeah, you actually have the the background which is very cool so what what do you think can be transposed from what you what you do doing at bmp and, and aimco uh to an individual uh i guess especially on the in the investment side yeah i think that you know that uh, uh there is a a lot that can can be brought to individuals but you just have to have mm-hmm. the right structure for it and and I think most traditional investment advisors are not set up for it and one of the key uh, challenges I think that uh, financial advisors um, have is when it comes uh, um, 
uh, to alternatives. Um, most investment dealers um, um, do not allow as much flexibility there, um, and they automatically mm-hmm. characterize things as high risk because of the lack of liquidity. And also the, the other issue is scale. Um, and, mm-hmm. and oftentimes to, to uh, get in with some of uh, the world-class managers, you need to make a five or $10 million um, uh, uh, dollar commitment. And uh, so what we did at Northfront Financial is we set up um, three different pooled funds and we outsource all of uh, the investment management and our clients own our funds, which uh, uh, then have the scale to go and write these big uh, tickets. And so um, each of our funds has about 100 million um, uh, Canadian dollars in it. And then we can go out and, and, and for example, get access uh, to uh, real institutional product through uh, uh, partners like Franklin Templeton and others. And then you can really give your um, clients the same type of um, institutional uh, pension style um, portfolio that like a, a Canada pension plan would have, for example. Oh, that's a pretty cool setup, yeah. Um, so you have the pool for guys going to ask about liquidity and, and kind of what do you consider to be alternative? Is it is it strictly like we've seen recently with the liquid alternatives or is it kind of the liquid offering memorandum type products that are monthly liquidity, like hedge funds, or are you into the PE funds and venture and real estate and lending? There's all these types. So how, how do you define alternative and then apply it to your uh, your different pools and maybe, maybe describe the pools? Sure. Uh, so the way uh, we define alternatives is uh, really based on um, correlations to uh, public uh, markets, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so the three pools we have, uh, just let me st- start with that. So the uh, public equity pool is really uh, plain vanilla. Uh, just a um, dividend growth type uh, uh, style, and it is diverse. Got to get your beta. Yep, yeah. that's what it is, right? And and it's diversified uh, globally. We try to not have a home bias there. Uh, and then our income pool is um, about seventy five percent private. Um, income. So you could have mortgages in there and distressed debt, for example, and just um, funds that do loans to uh, private companies, things like that. And that is uh, complemented with a 25% liquid uh, sleeve of uh, traditional public uh, bonds. And that fund does have monthly liquidity on it. Our our equity fund is weekly. Uh, And then the alternative fund is, is really a pension style um, alternative fund that has exposure to infrastructure, um, uh, private equity, some distressed assets in there as well. And we're seeing a lot of opportunity in the distressed area that we'll uh, talk about later, I'm sure. And that fund has um, quarterly liquidity. So there is a 25% sleeve of um, liquid alternatives in there. So uh, that has worked fairly well, all our clients understand that you know uh, the alternatives, especially, are longer-term investments with uh, less liquidity. Typically, our our average client has a third of their portfolio in the public equities, a third in the income, and a third in the alternatives. And so, should they need liquidity, 
um, on an on an urgent basis, they can always go to public equities, and then we do have some mm-hmm. some built-in uh, liquidity in uh, the other two funds to a certain extent. Well, that's a really neat setup. I love that. Like weekly, monthly, and then quarterly, and you ameliorate the illiquidity and the the quarterly assets, the super liquid ones with liquid assets. Uh, it's really cool. It reminds me of uh, actually the Helmsley Foundation does something like that, and they have exactly the same setup. It's a third each into liquid stuff public public beta and then private alpha and then private like super liquid stuff so wow that's uh you're on the right track there for sure that's that's pretty cool and then on uh the more i you have a bunch of things too like darby and such with the pe side but uh franklin templeton's known for its its mutual funds and uh of course max is part of k2 when uh when it came into into the the franklin fold and focusing on on hedge funds and other hedge strategies and then releasing the Look at alternatives up here in Canada. Let's hear about your story, Max, and what you guys are up to at Franklin Templeton. Sure. Thanks, James, and I uh, appreciate you having me on the podcast today. Uh, you know, a little bit about me. Uh, so I, I sit within Franklin Templeton Alternatives, as you, uh, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, and uh, it's really comprised of two different investment teams at this point, um, primarily. So that would be K2 Advisors, as you mentioned. Um, we build hedge fund solutions for... Uh, everyone ranging from retail investors to you know, very sophisticated institutional investors, uh, such as Australian superannuation funds, uh, pension funds around the world as well. Uh, and then I recently started covering a firm called Benefit Street Partners. Uh, they're mm-hmm. another boutique within Franklin Templeton. Uh, they manage about $27 billion dollars. Uh, primarily in middle market lending, uh, so CLOs, special situations, distressed opportunities. And uh, so the alternatives effort within Franklin Templeton has been an area of focus. Uh, It's an area of growth. And the reason why I I took on this role just a couple months ago is to really Mm -hmm. help uh, educate and and, uh, grow our efforts uh, within the Americas. So I'll be focusing on Canada as well as the United States. Very cool. And then, so how did how does that translate from um, being? I guess K two was like a larger. I don't know if it was a boutique, um, but it was it was a major player in the alt side, and then in w- within the uh, the Franklin Templeton uh, kind of empire there. Like, how, how does that work within? Is it well integrated? Uh, I don't mean like well as in good or bad, but just like is it, is it part of everything else, or is it is it kind of like a standalone unit, and you guys do your own thing, or how how, how did that go? It's a good question. Um, So, you know, Franklin Templeton, just as a firm, um, they've built themselves through the process of acquisitions. Um, Mm. And over the course of over 60 years, uh, they've brought together multiple world-class investment teams into a single firm, uh, which Mm. allows us, allows Franklin Templeton to offer specialized expertise across styles and asset classes all of which are supported by the strength and resources of one of the world's largest money managers. So within Franklin Templeton, we actually have over 200 investment strategies worldwide covering asset classes from traditional to alternatives. Wow. Um, we have over 13 countries and regions where we manage $5 billion alone. Um, and we're also uh, one of the world's top cross-border management groups and yeah, I, I say this, but uh, people may know, 
uh, Franklin Templeton earlier this year announced that we were acquiring Lake Mason. Um, so that'll actually bring our assets under management to well over a trillion dollars. Um, so if I had to Ooh. draw the blueprint of Franklin Templeton, you know, K2 advisors, uh, we're very well integrated uh, from the sort of uh, client service and staffing and legal and compliance, all the, the middle and back office operations. But what Franklin Templeton has done very well over the decades is to make sure that an investment boutique that they own and operate continues to have their own independence. Uh, so there mm -hmm. is no Franklin Templeton house view uh, normally. And so it, it avoids any potential conflict of interest. Oh, cool. Very good. Um, how about from the, like the liquid alts uh, funds that are up here, which, uh, you know, like we worked on for like six years from, starting in 2013 and they came to fruition, like we're officially promulgated early, like I think it was January 3rd, 2019. So it's been about two years though, because some funds came out as early as April, 2018. Um, how you were involved in that, right? And how, how did, how did you guys look at it uh, from a, like a Canadian standpoint? Obviously Templeton's a, a big name here in Canada. Back when I started as a broker in 95, it was already humongous. Um, how did you guys view that uh, from within like a product structuring and, and kind of the opportunity for uh, to service your clientele, which is the the full service brokers, and and I guess to some degree the do it yourselfers through the the uh, discount channels here in Canada. So what I would start with is uh, that K two advisors. We've we were a uh, uh, one of the first entrants into the liquid alternative space, um, and liquid alternatives actually represent mm -hmm. over fifty percent of our assets today. Um, if you had to think about that mm. from a product standpoint, uh, we built our first liquid alternative fund, which was a multi-manager, multi-strategy portfolio uh, here in the United States. And we launched that in the fourth quarter of 2013. So mm. that is uh, approaching a seven-year track record. Uh, about a year later, uh, we launched a CCAV fund, which is a Luxembourg domiciled uh, fund, uh, which follows a similar structure mm -hmm. as, as our 40 Act, multi-manager, multi-strategy. And um, and then we, we launched, as you said, we launched a Canadian, uh, we actually have two products up in Canada. Uh, we yep. have an OM offering, uh, which is a feeder into our CCAV. And then we have a retail offering as well. Um, you know, we, we did want to differentiate those products. We think they're they're designed uh, while they're designed to deliver similar types of risk and, and outcome, uh, they they were built slightly differently because our lesson that we learned as liquid alts have, have grown around the world uh, is that there's the amount of fee pressure continues to grow. Mm -hmm. And what we decided to do with the Canadian Retail Fund is leverage our, our in-house proprietary trading strategies. Um, again, constructing them, it's, it's a multi-strategy portfolio designed to deliver a very similar outcome as our OM fund, but as a much more uh, reasonable fee level. Cool. What do you what do you find to be the difference in fees? Like we've we got like our, our list that we, um, we're constantly updating. And I think we're now we're doing it monthly. It used to be every four months and quarter, but now it's monthly because they're just 
Uh, the nice thing with, with Liquidols is that the CDAR allows you to get at all the all the information in the public domain. But how how much lower do you think the fees are generally? Maybe the U.S. and they have the USITs or the underlying collectives and transferable securities over in over in Europe, the EU, and that. Um, and then in Canada, are they, are they like half the price of uh, of a, a similar like hedge fund strategy? And is there any loss of efficacy in the manager? It's a, a great question, uh, and it's something that we uh, we 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 you know when when Franklin Templeton acquired us and, and asked us to venture into liquid alternatives, um, it was again back in sort of 2013 when there was a lot of U.S. asset managers who were looking into looking to enter into the space, mm-hmm. and what you had what I'm speaking generally here. But you had alternative managers, so you know, fund of funds who just wanted to capitalize on the growth of liquid alternatives. And they had great relationships with managers. They know how to invest in alternatives. So they were able to build great products. The challenge with retail products is that you really need significant distribution. And I mm-hmm. think that some of the alternative managers who tried to go at this themselves uh, were surprised by how much distribution uh, needed support. Yeah, a lot of time, a lot of cost. Yeah, and people too, just the right people to get into that channel. Yeah. Yeah. So on the flip side, you have your mutual fund asset managers who thought, you know what, liquid alternatives are going to grow. Uh, McKinsey had written a paper called the Trillion Dollar Convergence. So liquid alternatives were a space that traditional asset managers wanted to get into, also. Uh, the challenge for them was finding the expertise in-house because um, most of them didn't have that. What we did, which was unique, was we were able to partner K2's investment experience in, in alternatives with Franklin Templeton's distribution. And this is a model that's served us extremely well over the years. Uh, it's served us well in the United States. We have one of the largest multi-alternative funds today. Uh, we also have one of the largest multi-alternative funds out in Europe. And, you know, we, as you mentioned, we launched the Canadian fund uh, just a little over a year ago. And, you know, due to uh, current situations with the uh, coronavirus, um, I, I guess we were wondering how long it would take to bring that up. Uh, <laughs> you started. You know, they, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Um but it's been a, a challenge to get in front of advisors and, and, and our uh, Canadian sales force um, for the past couple of months. And, you know, I am looking forward to thinking of new ways that we can uh, educate advisors up in Canada and explain mm-hmm. the benefits of alternatives to them. Well, we need more podcasts. That's all I have to say. I just wanted to make a um, comment on on the distribution challenges um, uh, from from what Max was saying. I would definitely agree with that, and I think one of the key challenges that a lot of investment firms have is is getting in in front of the financial advisors and with the uh, dominance of the big five banks in this country um, it is difficult to to get in front of their advisors particularly and and then you have the issue also of um, 
banks and their proprietary products. And I know at times those advisors can have different incentives. And there's been studies done on that that have been published through the OSC and they have found that in some instances, uh, bank advisors have more proprietary product on their book uh, than than independent advisors do. And so I think you know that's definitely a, yeah. a, a challenge. And then also uh, another challenge is, as Max was saying, is really educating advisors about alternatives. Because I think a lot of traditional financial advisors are behind the curve on that. And one of my other sort of projects on the side, I guess, is um, financial literacy. Hmm. I wrote a book actually that that came out in 2017, and it's called Your Money's Worth, The Essential Guide to Financial Advice for Canadians. And one of my real frustrations, as you can probably tell from my voice here, is that the barrier to entry to become a, a, a financial advisor in this country is extremely low. It's three multiple choice exams with a 60%, that's 6-0, passing score on each. Hey, hey, that was my first job, so I don't think, yeah, I know. <laughs> so there's a you know a lot of good advisors, but there's a lot you know that are more salespeople and they um, don't really focus on, on sort of um, on other asset classes. I know I was an IA at uh, Dominion Securities, which is the biggest firm in the street, still is uh, for five years, and uh, but the reality is that most people that are in those seats are asset gatherers. It's as simple as one, two, three fee, three things I tell my my client about the fund and the manager, and do I get a fee? Of course, DSC is probably going away, trailers and that. So most people have fee based accounts, so that's less of a, an issue. But uh, you know they got to get in front of clients, and uh, so what we actually Casa we we have a, a formal partnership with the Kaya Association, both for the actual Kaya designation that Max and I both have. And also what's called the Kaya Fundamentals. So instead of 200 hours per level for two levels, it's a 20-hour course. And it really goes into um, a great deal about, uh, or fairly even into uh, many areas of alternatives, hedge funds and, and private equity and lending and real estate. So it gives, a, we, I believe and we believe, a, a really good grounding in those areas. Uh, you're not going to be a super expert, but you're going to have enough information to really be able to dig further and... Uh, and do more diligence and be able to explain things to clients a lot better, I think, than just saying, oh, that's PE, it's it's private, and it's equity, that's it. Um, so we think it gives a more fulsome answer. Um, but on that, on diligence, like, so Shemez, how are you sourcing and diligencing managers now? Like, how do you do this in a COVID world? Because many places are just saying, pencils down, we're not doing anything. And there was a survey that said, um, it came out in the beginning of, of the crisis, said, 41% of, of allocators, even larger ones, would start allocating the managers they've never met after three months. Well, it's been three months, and I imagine people are, are actually looking to do that. So what uh, what do you find? One is through um, people I had dealt with um, you know, in past jobs at AIMCO particularly. So I have a, a network there that we utilize. Then also uh, there's a number of uh, wholesalers that we have good good relationships with and we're finding um, uh, that many of those um, firms that are known as traditional mutual fund managers they do have institutional offerings uh, like franklin templeton for example that's a great example and you just have to ask and see what's available and max mentioned for example benefit street partners 
I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities um, on that side of things when it comes to um, um, distressed investments. And uh, so, um, yeah, you know, there there are opportunities that are, I guess, what I call off the beaten path. And in this uh, time of uh, COVID-19, we've actually picked up the the level of our uh, of our search and search and, and diligence because i think there are going to be emerging alternative opportunities uh, that that come out of this crisis especially in the distressed area and uh, one of the other benefits that you know we've been able to deliver is because with some of these large institutional players our funds have already invested the minimum requirements and more to get a relationship started uh, then some of them will also take smaller direct investment. So if we come across uh, an, an individual that may not want to purchase our, our alternative uh, fund that is really diversified alternatives, but if they want, you know, just a pure play exposure to the, to the distressed side, then typically we can arrange to do that at a much lower um, dollar amount because we've got a relationship established. Yeah. And you also have the access too. So we've, uh, yeah, that's great for them because they can get that, get that in their portfolio. That's neat. It's kind of like the little co-investments that people do outside of the the PE side. Um, how about for, for you, Max? How are people finding you? And has it been, has there been quite a few searches and, and diligence on on uh, say your your shop there, your your area, since uh, kind of the lockdown in March, or is it kind of has it stopped completely, or what what have you, what are you guys seeing? Yeah, we're. Uh... We're definitely continuing to see a lot of RFPs and, and RFIs come in, uh, a little bit more mm-hmm. on the institutional side than on what I would call the retail side. And I think, you know, that's a testament to the fact that, you know, about 30 or 40 percent of our business is uh, building customized hedge fund solutions for large institutional investors. So we're we're well known in that space. Um, we were fortunate enough to have a, a very large client. Uh, fund uh, their initial portfolio in, in March, so that was uh, mm-hmm. nice to see. Uh, and we've we've been notified that we've won a couple of mandates since then, um, albeit a bit smaller. Uh, these have mm-hmm. mostly come out of Europe, and we've had a, a number of RFPs come in from Canada as well uh, for you know different types of solutions. Uh, there are institutional investors who are looking for customized liquid alternatives portfolios and uh we have a solution that may you know fit that that bucket as well um we also have the benefit at k2 of doing some more niche investments uh for example uh for people who have been looking for uh fixed income complement uh given where yields are around the world uh we have a fair amount of experience investing in natural catastrophe bonds so some uh, investors are putting natural mm. catastro- catastrophe bonds in as a fixed income complement, um, yeah. although I could argue that they probably don't have a tremendous amount of uh, uh, correlation to fixed income, right? These are bonds that tend to have correlation to natural catastrophes. Yeah. Um, and, and also the other area that we're seeing more and more interest in is alternative risk premia. All right, so right. I think just generally people are looking for that low correlation because 
in, in March, I think a fair amount of clients were uh, surprised to the, the downside in their alternatives allocation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it all goes back to the beginning, right? I think people need to understand what they're investing in when they invest in alternatives. They need to understand what, what risks they're taking in that specific alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, because alternatives can have lots of different risk uh, tolerances, right? Um, so mm-hmm. make sure, you know, my advice would be make sure you understand what you're investing in when you're investing in an alternative and make sure it fits the uh, you know, outcome that you're looking for. So what's in, your, what's in the future now for, for you guys, Max? Is alternative risk premium and there's liquid alternatives. Um, what, what are your plans maybe uh, specifically for, for Canada? Or is it just more outreach to the uh, to the investment advisors here to kind of let them know that you guys have this product that's been out for a year that uh, I imagine had done fairly well during the uh, during the crisis? Yeah, I mean, listen, I uh, I I think it's met expectations. I think you know with with the product, you know, we we have an interesting setup at Franklin Templeton, and it's unique. It, it it's got a lot of benefits to it, um, but the reality is that you know the way that Templeton funds get uh, get discussed with advisors is you know someone like me or one of my counterparts has to educate the Franklin Templeton sales team. Uh, they then educate the advisor, who then educates the, the client about the benefit of of whether it's alternatives or, or long only, right? So mm-hmm. I, I'm not in the room uh, in every every case in every instance. So. Unfortunately, I don't necessarily know what went through the advisors' minds when they uh, bought our our retail offering. Uh, mm-hmm. That being said, I I do believe that in March, uh, it it served its purpose of protecting capital in a period of equity market drawdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, relatively lower volatility than most other traditional asset classes. Um, I will also say, James, that. Um, the retail offering that we have uh, has had other months that it was more challenged, right? So mm-hmm. we've been spending a lot of time at K2, uh, you know, refocusing on our Canadian mutual fund um, to make sure that we educate the Franklin Templeton sales team and that it's positioned to capitalize on opportunities going forward. Uh, and it's it's kind of it's a unique product. Um, comprised of alternative risk premia. Uh, we have a long short equity allocation within it. Uh, and then we also have a hedge fund mm-hmm. replication strategy built in it. So it's it's a lot of different moving parts. There's a lot um, of stuff in there, yeah. There's <laughs> a lot of stuff, but but that's what helps it deliver the outcome of, of yeah. low correlation and dampening volatility. Uh, you know, the question is, how, how do you... Uh, you, you talked about the level of sophistication of many Canadian advisors. How do you bring something complex into here are the three things you need to know? How about you, Shemez? How, how do you distill down uh, the philosophy of, uh, of each of your funds? I actually, the way you explained it was pretty good too. But like if somebody, if, to get into more depth on maybe one of the buckets, maybe the, the super illiquid one with the quarterly um, redemptions and you have the liquid alts. Like, how, how do you explain that to you, to your clients? I guess you're, you, you only have one 
level between you and the client. So you're, you're right there, but how, how do you uh, distill it? You know, we need to be able to explain something that, that, that can be complex in a relatively simple way. And the way I explain it uh, to my client is really using a, a very simple uh, bucket analogy, right? So um, typically most individual investors in Canada, they have a two bucket balanced portfolio uh, and then we compare that to sort of, you know, the uh, David uh, Swenson model or the um, pension, mm-hmm. the pension fund model. It's not two buckets; it's uh, three buckets, right? And so there is a, a a large allocation to alternatives in there. And then we explain um, that going forward, what worked before quite well, actually, which is that that uh, two bucket. Uh, balanced portfolio is likely not going to work as well going forward. And the reasons why, which is really equity market volatility, low interest rates, as we all know. And then we talk about different opportunities that that are available in that uh, third alternative bucket. And uh, we uh, talk about some of the investments Canada Pension Plan uh, makes and in which uh, uh, managers. And uh, then we, you know, we are quite fortunate because we are uh, uh, set up to to do similar things, um, and I think clients like that approach. It's really basic, right? But I think it it uh, uh, does hold true. Future, I think, will still be somewhat volatile. There's a lot of unknowns out there still, and so you really have to uh, be you know uh, diversified across different buckets, but also within each bucket. So that's the way. Uh, uh, we explain things. Yeah, Shamas, we, we actually, we have a similar uh, view here when we do that sort of introduction to alternatives or, you know, why alternatives, um, but we, we classify the, the camps a little bit differently. Uh, you know, imagine drawing a, a peace sign or, or a pizza pie with three slices, right? The, the top left, to your point, is, is equity, and we would call that risk on. And I'm oversimplifying here, but then the uh, top right would be, you know, fixed income, and and you could call that your risk off, right? So that that's how investors used to think about the world: risk on, risk off. And the reason why you want alternatives is because, you know, from time to time, you enter an environment that you believe is risk uncertain, right? So if you think equity market volatility is here to stay, and you're concerned about low interest rates. It may be an opportune time to start introducing that third piece of the pie, which would be risk uncertain uh, or or alternatives. I like how you guys, uh, yeah, bring it down to a pretty, I shouldn't say basic level, but a way that m- most people can probably understand because there's so many, um, yeah, there's so many ways to look at it. Like when we did the you know, the Kaya, yeah, or anybody that has basic statistics, it's like there's the four moments of performance. Uh, standard deviation or volatility. You have skewness, which is how much it goes to the left or the right of the the average returns. And then you have kurtosis, which no one gets, which is like, is it a normal distribution, which most people think exists in the real world, but it really doesn't. And then you have this fifth thing, like correlation, which when I do this presentation to to, uh, students and we have about, I think there's like 10 hedge fund strategies and we we go, okay, here's the risk, here's the return. Okay, first, second moment, got it. That's easy. And, you know, you could lever up the, the alternative stuff and to get the same risk of a long only portfolio and get more return or just look at this correlation stuff. And the correlations are almost always like close to zero 
or at least less than 20 or less than 70% because in long only land, 80%, 70, 80% is good. 70% is fantastic between assets. Um, it's time varying, but between the alternatives, like I say, Max, with all these different types of, of, of strategies and, and types of assets, like they move around and they move around differently from time to time with regard to one another and to the markets. But the main thing is that they're not in lockstep with the markets like so many long only ones are because they do correlate to one. The alts generally do not. And how about parting thoughts? What would you tell investors to do now? Now that the we've been through March, the crazy times, the, the high vol times, things are probably, I think they've, they've settled down a bit. Although we're having some big, bigger moves in the markets. Um, what's your advice, Max, for, for investors uh, that are, maybe they had about 60-40 before and now they're like, hey, this may not work going forward. Where should, where should they go? What should, what should they uh, start to allocate to going forward? Well, I, I think every investor needs to develop a plan, right? And, and you need to stick to that plan because the challenge is that, you know, our emotions can affect our decision-making ability, uh, especially in times of market volatility. You know, mm-hmm. There have been studies out there that show that market declines are, you know, when they are a part of long-term and long-time investing, but the pain we associate with a loss is about twice as intense as the reward we feel from a gain, right? So mm. y- you need to stick to the plan. Uh, markets are going to evolve. And as I sort of think about it, if I had to, you know, give a little bit of advice, uh, you know, there's three things that I think we need to do in order to live with market volatility. Uh, We need to stay calm. We need to remember Mm -hmm. that diversification matters and we need to remember our plan, right? So let's talk about those, Uh, stay calm. First and arguably the most important concept of investing is to stay calm and keep that long-term perspective, right? Tune out the noise. We've already seen a lot of equity markets recover uh, most of their losses from March. Uh, diversification matters. Well, yeah, diversification may reduce overall volatility, but it can provide that smoother ride through bumpy markets. And then remembering the plan, listen, it's always tempting to pull out of the stock market during periods of volatility. And that's why you need a financial professional that's going to help you stick with your plan. Um, The last thing, James, that I would say is uh, a very famous quote from Sir John Templeton who said, bull markets are born on pessimism, grown on skepticism, mature on optimism, and die on euphoria. Awesome, thanks. So I and think then, we need to remember that. Yeah. And then Chavez, being that, that, that planner, that financial planner, not just the investment side, but all the other stuff too, like uh, what's your advice to clients now as they, they look at these uncertain markets and, and really uncertain times to some, to some degree as well? Uh, there's a... Uh few things. I would start by um, uh, re-looking and also redoing your financial plan, either on your own or with an advisor. I think we're in a new world here. And uh, and I think on, on financial plans, you should probably um, use realistic return objectives uh, uh, for the new world we're in. And also, I think investors that use financial advisors should also review that relationship to just to make sure that you're getting value for the 
fees that you pay and also that the person that you're working with has a full set of uh, tools to use, not just the uh, two-bucket portfolio. Uh, and then um, I would also say, you know, from an investment perspective, where we're seeing opportunities, distressed debt. I think um, there's going to be a big, a big mm. opportunity set there. Uh, small cap value stocks, international equities. I think are two other, uh, two other areas. Uh, there is also a a um, a potential return to secular inflation over the medium to longer term. So I think you need to plan for the possibility of that, own some gold in your portfolios. And as Max was saying, you know, have some alternatives, be diversified. You know, uh, uh, those are keys. Wow, that's great. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's great to have you both on and uh, super info and uh, parting comments there and ways to just continue on and, and really help out each individual's portfolios. And like I say, even, even just knowing a bit more about themselves and where they should go with it. Um, thanks, Max. Thanks, Shemez. We'll uh, look forward to having you guys on another podcast again sometime soon. Thank you. Thank you.